0: Today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians twelve, twelve through 20. Are you good? No? Okay. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though there are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greek, whether slaves or free, And we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, Because I am not a hand, am I not part of the body? It is not for this reason, any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, Because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body. It is not for this reason, any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. This is the word of the Lord.
1: The verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses that were just read, speak about the church. It talks about one body and how there's one body of believers, but there's many members of this body. We all have unique roles to play within the church, this body of believers. I wonder what you think of when you hear the word church. I did some research this week and there were some people who were asked this question what do you think of when? You hear the word church. What are, your, what are your first thoughts? And some people say, well, this is a place where you go to worship God. Within the, the church, there are people of peace. It's a, a way for people to go and worship Him and feel better about themselves. It's a meeting place where Christians come together to understand more about their faith. It's also a place, they said, a, where people who are not Christians can enter into to learn more about the Christian faith. Other answers included, they think church is unnecessary because religion is a personal thing, not a corporate thing. They said there's too much pressure from other people to go to church. They feel pressured by it, coerced into doing, uh, having faith and going to church. Some answers were, it feels forced upon me. This is something that should be a personal choice of mine. This is not something people should be forcing me to do. One man said, it's a, it's a building with a cross on it and a steeple. And some people said, well, church is what makes people feel good. So if it helps them feel better about themselves, good for them, as long as they don't try to force it on me. So there are a lot of opinions on what church is. So when you hear the word church, what do you naturally go to? What if church were not really like any of these things that were mentioned, but what if it were like a game that I played on our way back from vacation in the van with my family on the road? What if it were like this game? So this game is what we played as I was in the front, Carrie was in the front, and we had two kids in the captain's chairs and two kids in the back. So we made a little row of or a little circle of six if you will. And so the way it started was the first person would have to say two words, any two words they wanted. They say two words, and that's all they can say are the two words. They say two words, and then it goes to the next person, and they can only say two words. Any two words they wanted, but it can only be two words, and then it goes to the next one. You see where this is going? Your goal is to tell a story as a family, you sell two words, two words, two words, two words, and it develops a story over time. Now, what you'll find out when you do a game like this is that you have some people that don't want to play the game the way it's originally designed. You have some people who want to control the game, and they want to tell the other people, no, 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 you should say this, and you should say that. I'm not going to tell you who those people were. You have some people that just say stuff that doesn't even make sense, and it makes you want to go... What are you doing? Play the game right. And you have some people like maybe me who try to think of something really clever to say and something funny that would lead people to maybe have to try really hard to figure out something to say next. So you have all these things happening. Well, church, what if church is kind of like that where we all come together, we have one mission, but we do a good job of messing it up. What if we... On a good way, if we if we all six adopted that, and we had some pretty good stories for a while, but it took time to learn how to do it. It took some of us longer to figure out how to do the game and figure out how each other thinks. But it, it was really interesting to see how people's personality would come out, how people's desires would come out. Some people want a nice, clean, neat story. They want it to make perfect sense. Can't imagine who that would be. We have some who just are... Uh, are really controlling some who are desiring to get the attention. I'm talking about church now. Don't you see that? I mean in churches, you know, we we see people like that. We are an eclectic group of people that just come together and we have different personalities, different walks of life, different backgrounds, different circumstances that we've brought into the church. And we can do a good job of messing it up or we can realize there's some specific things that God has for us to do and if we will work together, God can do some great things and tell some beautiful stories through the church. The church is a beautiful thing and we do a good job of messing it up. Today, as we look at the the creed, the words are the holy Catholic church. I grew up in a Baptist church and we were not... A church that did creeds, so this was uh, new to me to study it in this depth. And to learn about this and to see some of our Protestant friends come across these words and say the Holy Catholic Church and to see their faces like, I don't know if I should say that. I'm not Catholic. That, that seems weird to me. To understand what this truly means, I believe is going to bring a depth of love and understanding for the church today, for you and for me. Today's big idea is enjoy the virtue of the church. Enjoy this majesty, this righteousness, this virtue that is the church. It's not a building. It's not a place where we go to feel better about ourselves. It's not even what we do right now. The church is much greater than that. I want to give us three things today about the church that will lead us to enjoy the virtue of the church. The first one is there is only one church. The second is that the church is holy. And the third is that the church is universal. We'll start with number one. There is only one church. In the Apostles' Creed, we see the holy Catholic church. We, we get the idea of this, there is only one church, from that statement, because it doesn't say the holy Catholic churches. It says the holy Catholic church. You see the and church. And we understand that one of the greatest virtues of the church is simply that it is one of a kind. There is only one. How majestic, how glorious is this? There is no other. The church of Jesus is one of a kind. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. It should be on the screen here. It said, there is one body and one spirit. You see that one body right there? This is a different letter that Paul wrote from what Emily read a few moments ago in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, where it also talked about one body. But it says here, there is one body, but he keeps going. There is one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So there are many different churches, and a great number of them don't associate with the other kinds of churches. But the lack of unity that we see in local expressions of the churches is what we call different churches. The lack of unity and cooperation among them doesn't negate the fact that God tells us that there is one church. If you're Anglican, Methodist, Baptist, Lutheran, Roman Catholic, or whatever, it's most important for us to know that we are first and foremost Christian. That has to be the predominant identity of our personhood. If we are not Christian, then however else we identify ourselves means nothing. This is really hard to practice, though, Because a lot of people say immediately, well, what kind of church are you? I am a pastor, so it's easy for those conversations to come up and, oh, you're a pastor? What kind of church are you? And it's not an easy question to answer for me because we're not a church that desires to fit into that category. In fact, we desire to go above that question. We desire to be a church that that loves Jesus and makes our neighborhood a better place to live. So what kind of church is that? We are a local expression of the Lord's church. Our desire is to worship the risen Savior, Jesus, and to share the good news of life through repentance and faith in Him. It's not easy getting above the categories that we have created about God's church. But something that should add virtue to our understanding of who the church is, is that there is only one church. There are different expressions of God's one church throughout the world. And in some sense, it's beneficial to understand what kind of church you are. But you are part of the one church when you have your faith in Christ. That is a virtuous thing. So that's number one. The, the church is, or there is only one church. The second one is this. The church is holy. The church is holy. So, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but if I were to ask you, do you in this moment feel like a holy person, I wonder how many of you would say yes. This can be confusing for a lot of people when you hear the holy church, that you are holy. It can be intimidating for people too. I'm not worthy enough to go there. It can also be uninviting where people can say, oh, you're holier than thou, right? You're one of those people. You go to church. In the screw Tape Letters, which is uh, written by C.S. Lewis, there's a new convert in his story, a new convert to Christianity. And he goes to church, and he expects to find this group of super saints that are there. And he's underwhelmed because he realizes that it's just filled with people who are ordinary, just like him. But I want you to look at how the Apostle Paul addressed these ordinary people when he wrote the letter to the church at Corinth. He addressed them this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. He said, To the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ— their Lord and ours. Keep that up there for a minute. This is a, an amazing intro to a letter as he says, you are sanctified. You are the church of God and you are sanctified. Sanctified means you're holy, means you're set apart. You're set over here apart from things as holy and lifted up and I have a special purpose for you. And he says, not only you church at Corinth, not only is it you that are sanctified in." set apart for God's work, but he says, but all those, see later in the verse, in every place, all those who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when you call on the Lord for salvation, you're turning from sin, you're turning from the ways of the world, and you're turning from even being the owner of your life, and you turn to Christ and you give your life to him, then you become marked out as a child of God, sanctified, set apart, yes, Holy. It's not just Paul that says this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, we see the same thing. Peter writes to a group of believers and he says, but you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a what? Holy nation. A people for God's own possession. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Every time I read this in second, or First Peter, I remember the sermon series when we went through Hosea, the beautiful story of God's redeeming love for Hosea and Gomer. And this is what Peter is quoting right here. He's quoting the Old Testament. But Peter and the, and the others in the New Testament as well refer to God's people as holy. And he refers to them as, as saints as well. And we'll look more into that next week as we, the next line of the creed says, the communion of saints. And we're going to talk more about what that means. The good news is we are made holy. The better news is we are made holy not by our attaining and our reaching a mark, but by the work that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We're not holy because we figured out how to be perfect on our own. That's the opposite of the gospel in basically every other religion in the world. Learning to be good, to please God, is a false religion, a false gospel. But the good news is that we realize, or when we realize that we are dead in our sins, we're not just bad people, but we're dead in our trespasses and our sins, there's nothing we can do about it. But we call out to God for grace, and we call out to Him for mercy. And through Jesus alone, this good news becomes applied to our lives. We become holy through grace. The more we know Jesus, the more we start living in accordance with His holiness as well. The more we love Him, the more we worship Him, the more we will use the freedom God gives us, not for fleshly reasons, but we'll use that freedom to give love to others, to serve the world without any fear of condemnation, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So if we're holy, what about the people that keep sinning? What if we just keep doing the things that we want to do, but we're a member of the church? Well, if you're unrepentant, which means if you're impenitent regarding your sin, which means you don't ever go to God for repentance. That means you do whatever you want to do and you don't really care what God thinks, you don't care what the church thinks about it. You're your own man or woman. If that's your heart, there's a solid chance that you're not a believer of Christ if you never repent Because one of the essentials of the Christian faith is repentance. If you're not turning from the world, then you're still of the world. But what about those that are struggling with sin? I'm not unrepentant over it. I I struggle with sin, but I say I'm sorry all the time. I just can't find victory over it. What about those people? Well, for those who struggle against temptation and fall into sin, unfortunately, this is really far too common for many Christians. They don't want to sin, but they seem powerless over it. It seems like no matter what we do, we can't find victory over sin. Galatians chapter 5 verse 17 talks about this tension. It says, for the flesh, which is the sinful nature, sets its desire against the Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. So there's this war. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please or the things that you wish or you want. So there's a spiritual war that goes on for the Christian. There's a desire to go back to the way it was before, to go back to the familiar. There's a song by Lady, 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 Lady Antebellum. I was prepared for the second ante instead of into. So Lady Antebellum sings a song called Need, uh, I Need You Now or Need You Now. And it's a song basically about two ex-lovers who are missing each other. I don't think they're actually missing each other because what it seems to stir their affection for one another is the fact that they find themselves lonely. They're isolated and and drunk, as we'll find out in a minute. But they're drunk because they're lonely. Totally understand that. Toward the end of the song, there's a bridge that kind of First time I heard it I was like, man, that's I've heard it other places, but it really stuck out. The bridge says this it says, I guess I'd rather hurt than feel nothing at all. I guess I'd rather hurt than feel nothing at all. Prior to that it's you know, they go through the lament for one another. It's a quarter after one, I'm all alone and I need you now. I said I wouldn't call, but I'm a little drunk, and I need you now. And then it gets really honest. I guess that was honest prior too, but it just has this heart, I, I guess I would rather hurt than feel nothing at all. That describes a tension that many Christians live within when we try to figure out how to live in this new identity as someone who is set apart and holy for God's work and His kingdom. There's this new freedom, this new life that comes with, with faith in Christ, and oftentimes we're unprepared to, to know what to do with this power. And so it's hard and there are times you just want to give up and you just want to get drunk and go back to the familiar even when you know it's not good for you. Sometimes we can't find the victory and fullness of life that we were promised and hoped for, so we give up and we go back to sinful ways. We know it won't bring lasting pleasure, but at least for the short term, we'll feel something good and at least we'll feel something even though we know that there will be guilt to follow. We're not the only one that feels that way. Israel, we see a picture of them as they do the very thing, the very same thing. They come out of slavery from Egypt. They had been there for hundreds of years. God leads them miraculously out through parting the waters of the Red Sea. They get to the other side. There's freedom. And they don't have everything that they used to have because it's struggling, it's hard, and they start complaining and they say, there's no meat to eat here. There's, we, we got nothing here. And they start to say, they say, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt, at least we would have had pots full of meat and plenty of bread to eat. You see what they're saying? You know what? Slavery really wasn't that bad. At least we ate a lot of meat. We had bread anytime we wanted to. wasn't that bad. This is the plight many of us live within. God has brought us miraculously through the waters of baptism and now we've seen the light and the beauty of the Christian walk but then it gets hard, right? It gets difficult. There's this tension and we just get sick and tired of battling that tension and we just kind of want to sell out and go back. Even though we know it's not best for us. They yearn to go back. They didn't trust the Lord enough even though he led them miraculously through the Red Sea and provided for them, they desired the familiar. When you find yourself wanting to go back to the familiar, the old life of slavery to sin, remember you are holy. You are set apart. Don't go back to Egypt. Don't try to rekindle the old flames of sin, but look forward to the promise of God and live in the new freedom that He has given you. Don't go back. You are freed from trying to prove yourself in the gospel. You are freed from trying to impress others in the gospel. You are freed from trying to show your worthiness to God through obedience in the gospel. You are freed from having to have all the answers to every question in the gospel. You are freed from those things. And you are freed to love your family. You are freed to love your difficult friends. You are free to love your neighbors of different religions and different worldviews. You are free, to, get this, to love your enemies. You are free to serve the world. Free in the gospel. The virtue, one of the virtues of the church for us to enjoy and live within is our holiness. It's not something that we're prideful over, look at what I've done, but it's something that we boast in Christ. Look at what Christ has done for me. He's taken a sinner and made him a saint. Why would I want to sell out and go back to Egypt? The church is beautiful. It is holy. There is only one church. The church is holy. And Number three, the church is universal. This can be a scary word too because we start to think about universalism and that's not at all what this is saying. Catholic is the word that's used here, the holy Catholic church. Catholic means universal is what it means. And until the 1500s and the European Reformation, none of that ever caused anyone to think Roman Catholic. The creed was recited hundreds of years, over a thousand years before then, and it never caused people to think Roman Catholic. But now many Protestants uh, hear this part of the creed, and they wrongly dismiss it because they say, well, I'm not Roman Catholic, so I shouldn't say that. So here's an easy way to dismiss this. It's not a capital C for Catholic, it's a small c, all right? So it's not capital, it's like this is the kind of church you are, but it's small c for universal. Specifically, the, the word Catholic means <clears throat> the church's message is valid and relevant to every age and every situation, it means that it's an affirmation of the universal validity and relevance of the gospel. That's a quote by Alistair McGrath. So basically what he's saying, that there, was a, there wasn't a church back in the first century that had a message that fits specifically their needs. And now we have in the 20th century, 21st century, now we have a different message that fits our needs. What he's saying is that the Catholic, the universalness of the gospel, is that it. Applied then just as much as it applies now. The same gospel for them is the same one for us. The same church for them is the same church for us. We belong to the same church as the apostles. It's an apostolic church. We belong to the same church. It, it's not something new. As new as Connection Church is, we're only, we'll, have, we'll be four years old next month. We're, as, as new as we are, we are part of the oldest church church in the world, the only church in the world. It's the same message of the same church. So finding out that the word Catholic doesn't mean Roman Catholic solves the problems for many Protestants and Roman Catholics, but just don't expect us to agree on much else. That's supposed to be a little funny. We agree on a lot, actually. We're going to disagree with a lot of different uh, denominations and entities of local church expressions of this one church. But what we can do is realize that while we have differences, and some of them will be major differences, what we can do is live with hope that one day Jesus is going to sort it all out and this game that we've been playing in our minivan and kind of messing up is one day going to have the king come back and show us how it all operates together. That's the hope we live for. We can go ahead and start claiming and looking forward to the unity that God is bringing ultimately to His church. But until then, enjoy the virtue of being part of the same church as those in the first century. We carry the same gospel message as they do. You know, Jesus ascended into heaven, and He now sits at the right hand of the Father. We learned that from earlier in the Apostles' Creed. He's in power, He's on the throne. He has sent us the Holy Spirit. We talked about the Holy Spirit last week and how God gives us strength through Him. And now we have the church, the bride of Christ, Jesus' treasure, His holy ones. We are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and when we believe in Jesus, we belong to the church. You and I need the church. You need the church. Now, I'm not saying that you need to be here every Sunday. But you need something more than that. You need more than every Sunday. You need to belong to the church of Jesus. We live in a world that tries to steal our affection every moment. It tries to take our affection away from our Creator and our Lord. We live in a world where hostility and violence toward Christians is common in other areas. While we don't currently face imminent threats against our lives in the U.S. as a whole, we do face hostility from people in a secular culture. We are not living in a Christian culture. There are often attempts and open attempts to discredit the Christian faith. If you've not experienced it yet, you will one day face opposition from people who think your faith in Christ is absurd, who think you have checked out of the intellectual ball game and given your life away for foolishness. Some people will think less of you and think you are the biggest fool in the world because you believe in Christ. You need the church to remind you and to encourage you and to comfort you and to strengthen you during these times. We need the church. We need to be reminded of the truth of God because we are bombarded with contradictory narratives throughout the week. We need to be reminded of the truth of God. And Jesus is quite aware of the struggle in which we find ourselves. In the high priestly prayer, which is in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples and he also prays for us. In this section of uh, 17 verses 14 through 18, listen to what he says here. He's praying to the Father and he says, Father, I I have given them your word and the world has hated them. I gave him... Your word, Lord, and they hated them because they are not of the world, my disciples, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And then we see this word again, sanctify them. Set them apart, Lord, in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Jesus was sent and he accomplished his mission. And now he has ascended to the right hand of the Father and he has appointed you and me to be sent and to carry the same message throughout the world. He even said, Greater things are going to be done through you than through me. He gives us the power to do that through his Holy Spirit. We are sent into the world to bring this message of hope and life, and he's giving us membership into this life-giving, encouraging body of Christ called the Holy Catholic Church. We belong to one church of our Lord. We are part of His holy church, and we are partakers of the same gospel as the very first followers of Jesus proclaimed. The church that we are in is both ancient and relevant at the same time. The Holy Catholic Church. My prayer for us all is that we will enjoy the virtue, the value, the righteousness, the goodness, the glory of what God has given us in his holy Catholic church. Let's pray. Father, you are a blessing and we thank you For the privilege of being part of your holy Catholic Church. You know far more than we do, yet we trust our own judgments above yours many times. Teach us to trust you and to love the church as you do. May we find enjoyment in your church as we gaze upon the virtue of it. May we esteem your church highly so that you will receive glory when the world sees us loving one another and praising you. In Jesus' name, amen.